This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Welcome to Church Life Today. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. On today's show, I'm going to do something a little bit different to bridge Advent and Christmas. I'm calling this episode The Three Wise Men. My three guests are not here in the studio. They're not joining me by phone. Instead, they're with us in their preaching. This episode is built around Advent and Christmas Sermons of the Saints. My guests will be the great British intellectual and churchman, St. John Henry Newman, the martyred pastor of Munich, Father Alfred Delp, and the martyred Archbishop of San Salvador, St. Oscar Romero. Here's what I'm going to do. I've selected some excerpts of Advent and Christmas homilies from each of these great preachers, and I want to share them with you. I'll mix in some of my own commentary, sort of like a first pass at really pondering the depth and the power of their preaching. You know, one of the things I love about hosting this show is that I get to interact with some brilliant, inspiring, and persuasive leaders in the church who help us all to be more knowledgeable and more discerning about church life today. Well, today's three guests, St. John Henry Newman, Father Alfred Delp, and St. Oscar Romero, they'll do no less for us, though they'll do it through the enduring power of their preaching. So let's get started. I want to start with St. John Henry Newman. And in some ways, I'm going to go in descending order from longer excerpts to shorter excerpts. So that's to say the ones I'll give you from St. John Newman are a little bit longer than the ones from Father Delp and a little bit longer than the ones from St. Oscar Romero. But most of you probably know St. John Henry Newman already, but just a quick brief bio. He's born in 1800. He died in 1890. He came into communion with the Catholic Church right in the middle of his life, 1845, He was canonized in October of 2019. He is one of the leading intellectuals of his time. He's a reformer in his own way. He was a champion of the integration of knowledge and the proper relationship between faith and reason. But he was also an incredibly skilled preacher, someone whose sermons have been handed down to us in several different excellent collections. So I'm going to pull today from those sermons that are published by Vintage Spiritual Classics under the title Selected Sermons, Prayers, and Devotions. And the first sermon I'm going to pull from is one that he preached during Advent. It's titled, Worship, A Preparation for Christ's Coming. Now here it is. This is the opening of the sermon. It's a longer excerpt, a long paragraph. Have a listen. Year after year, as it passes, brings us the same warnings again and again, and none perhaps more impressive than those with which it comes to us at this season. The very frost and cold, rain and gloom, which now befall us, forebode the last dreary days of the world, and in religious hearts raise the thought of them. The year is worn out. Spring, summer, autumn— Each, in turn, have brought their gifts and done their utmost, but they're over, and the end is come. All is past and gone. All has failed. All has sated. We are tired of the past. We would not have the seasons longer, and the austere weather which succeeds, though ungrateful to the body, is in tone with our feelings and acceptable. Such is the frame of mind which befits the end of the year and such the frame of mind which comes alike on good and bad at the end of life. I don't know. To me, it's almost as if St. John Henry Newman spent some winters in South Bend. He knows a bit of what it's like. I guess a British man would know that. 
cold and dreary, overcast, gray, gloomy. Everything's come to an end. And maybe it looks like there may never be life again. There may never be sunshine again. But he's also pointing to something deeper, maybe spiritually deeper, that feeling of emptiness at the end of the year. I don't know, that feels a little odd to say, but if we think about it, maybe it's not so odd. All the momentum this time of year seems like it's the momentum of trying to rush ahead. Certainly that's in the holiday shopping. A new year is coming towards us. We're rushing towards it. Let's just rush ahead. Rush. Let's get there. But I don't know. There's also, I suppose, a kind of hollowness to that. Maybe in the quiet moments, just for a moment, we find ourselves looking back and almost inaudibly asking ourselves the question, what have I done? What has this year been about? Did I really use the gift of time? Have I wasted it? And we can look around at the barrenness of a place like the place where I live. I love it, but I live there, South Bend, Indiana, to look around at the barrenness this time of year at the threshold of winter. And really just looking around, it looks like emptiness. It's gray. It's always gray. Nothing bears fruit. This whole year, what did it lead to? It led to this again, another ending with no fruit. It's just emptiness again. I think it's tempting, isn't it? To want to rush ahead, to get to the next spring, which I don't know, like around here, to be honest, when does spring come? Maybe at the end of May, maybe in June, who knows? We just want to get there. Well, I think Newman is saying that the longing for what is to come for that good land, for that new blossom, for the signs of life. Those are the longings of holy people, definitely. But the difference between the holy and the unholy is that the unholy want to just race ahead. That's all they want to do is is race ahead. And when they look back, they usually want to either just count their fortunes or they want to despair at their misfortunes. But the holy, on the other hand, the holy, or those who seek to be holy, they'll look honestly at both the good and the bad that is behind us. And when they look ahead, they're trying to look ahead in trust for what the Lord means to give. But I suppose, following Newman, the thing that will really separate the holy from the unholy is that the holy are willing to wait They'll even wait patiently, even when it hurts. And they'll try to offer that period of emptiness, that period where it seems like it's just lifeless, to offer that period as a time that is acceptable to the Lord. Winter in South Bend. How about that? Let me give you a second passage then from the same sermon by St. John Henry Newman. It continues just a little while later. It's a little longer sermon than we're used to listening to. But here's how he continues. He says, One year goes, and then another, but the same warnings recur. The frost or the rain comes again. The earth is stripped of its brightness. There's nothing to rejoice in. And then, amid this unprofitableness of earth and sky, the well-known words return. The prophet Isaiah is read. The same epistle and gospel, bidding us awake out of sleep and welcome him that cometh in the name of the Lord. The same colics, beseeching him to prepare us for judgment. 
O blessed they who obey these warnings, these voices, and look out for him who they have not seen, because they love his appearing. That continues this thought. It was just trying to tease out, doesn't it? The difference between the holy and the unholy, or those who seek holiness is learning how to wait in this period and not rush ahead. But the blessed, in what Newman is saying here, are those who do what? They perk up. And they wait for him, for the Lord, in a new way, out of their slumber, in the same old dreary winter. Yes, this is a season often marked by emptiness, but it's actually a time of preparation for someone. Not just for something, but for someone. And not just for better weather and better days. I mean, we know this already, in a way, don't we? That the gift of this season of Advent... The challenge of this season of Advent is of learning how to wait for someone. And I think what Newman is going to connect that to is the fact that we're actually waiting for what our salvation will entail. The whole point of our salvation is going to be about learning how to enjoy his presence forever. You have to learn how to enjoy it. Doesn't that sound weird? You would think that the Lord comes and now, well, I rejoice because he's here. But the whole scriptural witness seems to go in the other direction. It says, no, 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 no. We have to learn how to rejoice. We're not ready yet to rejoice. This might be the best time to learn how to hope, actually, if we think about it. The time when everything else seems bleakest. Isn't that really like the ideal time to learn how to hope? There's no other incentive to do anything else but hope. We might want to just skip the gray and the cold and the emptiness. But I think Newman is saying, no, this winter, this cold, this indeed is the acceptable time to learn how to wait. It's the time to learn how to not rush ahead. And also the time to learn how to not despair in how we look back. But to wait. And to practice how to be in the Lord's presence. I'm going to give you one more excerpt from this sermon by Newman, how he starts to draw it to a close, the sermon that he preached during Advent. And I think he's actually going to respond to some of the things that many of us might think, or maybe some of our loved ones who are distant from the church or unsure about the church or skeptical about the church or rejecting of the church, some of the things they might think or say. I think we'll hear some of that in there. I want to give that to you, but I want to remind you that first that you're listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. And this is your host, I'm Leonard DiLorenzo, and if you didn't catch the beginning, today I'm doing a different kind of show where my guests are St. John Henry Newman, Father Alfred Delp, and St. Oscar Romero. I'm calling this episode The Three Wise Men, and what I'm doing is I'm sharing some excerpts from their Advent and Christmas homilies. So back to John Henry Newman. Here's this excerpt towards the end of that same homily, the homily entitled Worship, a Preparation for, for Christ's Coming where he ticks off, I think, many of the things we might hear from those skeptical of the church, unsure of why I have to be in church in the first place. Here's what he has to say. This indeed is the most momentous reason for religious worship, as far as we have grounds for considering it a true one. People sometimes ask, why need they profess religion? Why need they go to church? Why need they observe certain rites and ceremonies? Why need they watch 
pray, fast, and meditate? Why is it not enough to just be just, honest, sober, benevolent, and otherwise virtuous? Is not this the true and real worship of God? Can't we all just choose our own way? Why must anyone come to church? Why must we be partakers in what we call sacraments? I answer, they must do so first of all, and especially because God tells them to do so. But besides this, I observe that we see this plain reason why, that they are one day to change their state of being. They're not to be here forever. Direct intercourse with God on their part now, prayer and the like, may be necessary to their meeting him suitably hereafter, and direct intercourse on his part with them, or what we call sacramental communion, may be necessary in some incomprehensible way, even for preparing their very nature to bear the sight of him. That really puts a fine point on it, I think. All of this, what happens in the waiting, all of the rituals of prayer and meditation, all of the participation in the liturgical life, the reception of the sacraments, all of it is a kind of training, Newman is saying, a way of learning how to enjoy being in the Lord's presence. Maybe you could even say, we're becoming used to him so that when he does come, we're somewhat familiar and we're ready to rejoice. The whole point, I think he's saying, is that we're supposed to enjoy it when he comes. And that takes some change on our part. Because especially those who are skeptical, but even those of us who might be willing, I think Newman is saying we all have to change and learn how to receive the Lord. Before we move on from Newman, let me give you just one little excerpt then from one of his Christmas homilies. This one is entitled The Remembrance of Past Mercies. I'll just give you one short piece, and maybe it follows up on what we were saying from his Advent homily, but here it is. Here's what he preaches. As Christmas comes, he says, Let us thankfully commemorate the many mercies the Lord has vouchsafed to us in times past, the many sins he has not remembered, the many dangers he has averted, the many prayers he has answered, the many mistakes he has corrected, the many warnings, the many lessons, the much light, the abounding comfort, which he has from time to time given. Let us dwell upon times and seasons, times of trouble, times of joy, times of trial, times of refreshment. I don't know about you, but to me, that gives me a little something different for Christmas. What I hear in Newman there is him saying that when the Lord comes at Christmas, we do well to welcome him if we do so gratefully. And part of being grateful is remembering all the ways he has blessed us in the past. It means being mindful of the whole story of salvation, beyond even my own life. If we think about it, that kind of remembrance doesn't just focus us on what salvation is really like. It also makes us grateful. You can't really be grateful unless you remember well. And that, too, is actually part of our salvation, he's saying. 
We're meant to learn how to be grateful. Again, to connect this to the last sermon, we're supposed to enjoy the Lord's presence. All right, that's our first wise man, St. John Henry Newman. Of course, there's much, much more we could listen to from him. But I want to introduce us then to our second of the three wise men, Father Alfred Delp, maybe less well-known to many people than St. John Henry Newman. If you don't know Alfred Delp, he was a German Jesuit priest. He was born in 1907. He died in 1945. He died because he was executed by the Nazis. He preached, and he preached powerfully, most especially during his favorite season, which was Advent. And perhaps his most powerful Advent sermons were the ones he preached during the years of the Third Reich's high reign. He preached from his parish in Munich, and even after he was arrested by the Nazis and imprisoned, he continued writing out his sermons. Oftentimes, he wrote out his sermons in prison with his hands bound together in cuffs, and he did so without light. The collection of his sermons is available in a book that's published by Ignatius Press. It's entitled Advent of the Heart. I think it's one of the most powerful books for Advent you can find, maybe one of the most powerful books you can find for any season. In any event, I'm going to give you one longer, somewhat longer excerpt from him and then a couple shorter ones so we can hear what his preaching was like during this darkest of times before he was imprisoned and the uh, Hitler's reign, Hitler's power was waning when everything was being crushed under him and then a couple of things while he was in prison. Just want to remind you first that you're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. This is Leonard DiLorenzo and today I'm sharing some excerpts from sermons from St. John Henry Newman, Father Alfred Delp, and St. Oscar Romero, sermons that they preached during Advent and Christmas. So here's a piece of a sermon from Father Delp. He preached this in 1941, in the beginning of Advent of 1941. He preached it to his flock at his parish who were trying to pray to the Lord while the whole world around them was shaking. Here's what he preached. Perhaps what we modern people need most is to be genuinely shaken so that where life is grounded, we would feel its stability. And where life is unstable and uncertain, immoral and unprincipled, we would know that also and endure it. Perhaps that is the ultimate answer to the question of why God has sent us into this time, why he permits this whirlwind to go over the earth, and why he holds us in such a state of chaos and in hopelessness and in darkness, and why there is no end in sight. It is because we have stood here on the earth with a totally false and inauthentic sense of security. So now, God lets the earth resound, and now he shudders it, and then he shakes it, not to call forth a false anxiety. He does it to teach us one thing again, how to be moved in spirit. Instead of that, Man stood on this earth in a false pathos and false security under a deep delusion in which he really believed he could single-handedly fetch stars from heaven, could enkindle eternal lights in the world and avert all danger from himself, that he could banish the night and intercept and interrupt the internal quaking of the cosmos and maneuver and manipulate the whole thing into the conditions standing before us now. It's really something, isn't it? 
saying what's come over the earth is in large part because of our own collective fault. We've led ourselves to these various states of dis-ease, of anxiety and of war and conflict and fake news and all of this stuff. It was the truth then in 1941 in Germany, and maybe we can think of it in a different way as true now. And I think what Delp is saying to his flock in 1941 might also be true for us, that it is hard to let Advent shake us. But it shakes precisely because God is coming. It shakes because God's breaking in. He's moving past our defenses. What Delp is saying is that God is going to redeem this broken world again, now. But here, I think, is the really essential part. God is not the violent one. We are the violent ones. The shaking is really because we resist him. Our world resists him with all the power and all the fury we can muster. We want to make our own way, and he wants to save us from that. He'll come silently even as a little child. He'll heal us of our obsessions with power. Let me close Alfred Delp here then with just some words from a Christmas time sermon. A Christmas time sermon that he preached in December, late December 1944. This is preached about a month before he was executed. He wrote these words. I say he preached them. He preached them to the page and sent them out of the prison because he preached them in his prison cell without light and his hands bound. He wrote this. The world is more than its burden, and life is more than the sum of its gray days. The golden threads of the genuine reality are already shining through everywhere. Let us know this, and let us ourselves be comforting messengers. Hope grows through the one who is himself a person of the hope and the promise. I suppose that's the power of Christmas, he's saying. And that's what we long for during Advent, the kind of hope that can turn a jail cell into a prayer bench. And it was precisely from there that Delp beckons us to receive Christ and become his messengers of hope in this world, even in the middle of winter or in the middle of war. Briefly then, Let's turn to our third of the three wise men, St. Oscar Romero, Archbishop of San Salvador, born in 1917, shot through the heart while elevating the Eucharist during Mass on March 24, 1980, canonized October 14, 2018. I'll share a couple of excerpts from sermons in a collection, really a biography called Oscar Romero and the Communion of Saints. Here's a reading from the fourth Sunday of Advent. He preached this. No one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, those who, because they have everything, look down on others, those who have no need even of God, for them, there will be no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God, Emmanuel, God with us. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. Good grief, friends. That's pretty challenging, isn't it? It forces us to ask ourselves, do we need a savior? Because only the poor do, he's saying. So if those of us who are comfortable and are going to receive a savior, 
I suppose he's saying we have to become poor. We have to become certainly poor in spirit, but maybe even a little poorer in our possessions, a little poorer in our preferences. Because he continues in a Christmas homily that goes along with this one by preaching these words. He says, Christ put his classroom of redemption among the poor, not because money is evil, but because money often makes us slaves of those who worship the things of earth. And we forget about God. How do you learn to become poor? I think Romero is saying you learn to become poor from the poor by spending time with them, by caring about what those poorer than ourselves care about. Because indeed, God became the poorest of the poor to teach us and liberate us from there. Let's have just one other connection between an Advent homily from Oscar Romero and a Christmas homily. Here's the one from Advent. It reads like this. The salvation we preach in Christ's church is the same salvation that Mary believed in and that she initiated when she gave her consent and became fruitful with God's salvation. The church is zealous to guard Mary's belief, God's plan for human salvation, and it will not let his plan be lost in merely human plans. Rather, it must sanctify and permeate these. Every people's liberation effort will be effective and according to God's heart only if it lets faith in God's plan to save humanity pervade it. That's really something, I think. He's saying all of our plans are meant to become echoes of God's plan. And that's the way we judge our own plans. Are they echoes of God's plan? Because Mary's fiat, her yes, was an echo of God's fiat, God's yes. Remember that the first words of Scripture, the first words of God in Scripture are, let there be light, fiat lux. And Mary is the one who said fiat. She echoed that. Let it be to me according to your will. I think Romero is reminding us that Mary is the figure of Advent. So then let's conclude with a little sermon from him, an excerpt from Christmas that goes along with that. Here it is. He preached, We must not seek the child Jesus in the pretty figures of our Christmas cribs. We must seek him among the undernourished children who have gone to bed tonight with nothing to eat, among the poor newsboys who will sleep covered with newspapers in doorways. How shall we seek Christ on Christmas morning? How shall we prepare to seek him, in other words? And Romero is saying, we seek him like a mother, like his mother, like someone who grows more and more concerned with the needs and the nourishment of others. That's our show for today. Brought to you from these three wise men, St. John Henry Newman, Father Alfred Delp, and St. Oscar Romero. I think they know where Christ is, and they point the way for us. Merry Christmas, everyone. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and then stay healthy. Don't be embarrassed, it's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go to see a doctor. When your finances are sick, 
you go to see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits?